Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. But hey, if you don't know me, if you're new with me, my name is Chad Stewart. I'm one of uh, the pastors here at the Vineyard. And so I'm going to read our scripture from this morning. It comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, if you want to follow along. So in verse 21, it says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him, pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks, buddy. Morning. How are you? Welcome. You all decided to come today (laughs) for this story. (laughs) This this is awesome. I'm really glad you're here. I'm Lindsay. I'm the pastor here. If we haven't met, welcome. Um, I usually like to get my sermon started with a story to help grab your attention or at least grab my own attention while I'm writing it. Um, But I just feel like the story Chad read just grabs plenty of attention uh, all on its own. It's a doozy. Uh, as he said, it is a distinct and direct uh, interaction with Jesus and a woman. I kind of read this story uh, in the Bible, sort of like, do you know the emoji that has the big eyes and the bright red cheeks and the straight line across? Like, you know what I'm talking about? That's how, with, at the whole, even back there as he was reading, I was like, this is, this is what this is. I mean, it kind of starts off like a lot of the other stories of Jesus start off. Jesus' disciples, they're walking into a place and someone comes and asks for healing. Like that happens a lot all throughout the gospel stories. But then the story takes a little bit of an unusual turn because the woman asks Jesus and then Jesus does something uncharacteristic and he ignores her. Like just no words. Uh, And then when she keeps asking, the disciples, they ask him to send her away because she's getting on their nerves. The only other time they do that is with the children. Do you remember when the children come to Jesus and they're trying to get him away? And he's like, no. So they get in trouble for that one. But this one. And then she just keeps asking and asking. And then Jesus finally talks. And then, oh, my gosh, does he call a woman a dog? Like, is this what's happening in this story? I think this story on its own grabs plenty of attention. (laughs) 
Um, honestly, in our sermon, this is the last Sunday of uh, our series on parables of the kingdom, which we'll come back to. We always end a series, then we're like, we weren't done. We're going to do it again in the fall. Um, that'll probably happen here. But, um, but it, this story has been on our spreadsheet for months. And honestly, I waited till the very last week because I, just, I kind of almost chickened out on this story. Because if I'm honest with you, I have been trying to avoid this story since the very first time I read this story. Because it's really confusing. Uh, for some of y'all, this may be the first time you've ever read it, the first time you've ever heard it or, or heard somebody uh, preach on it. I learned from my research uh, that when preachers get to this passage, if they're doing like a series on Matthew or a series on Mark, when they get to this one, they tend to give the scripture to their associate pastors or youth pastors or guest <laughs> preachers, which is genius. Why did I not think of that? Chad, Aaron, Sarah Stokes, any of you. Um, but as much as I wanted to check out on, chicken out on this one, we're not going to chicken out. We're going to dive in because we do hard things. Um, and actually, I really think Jesus has a word for us this morning. Like, I just, I don't know. I texted a few people this week, and I was like, I am so nervous because I think Jesus wants to talk to us. So, um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this passage, and we're going to kind of dissect it into three sections, three parts, three uh, pieces. And as we do that, what I want to do is, um, is to use the lens that we've been using um, for the last two months, for all of 2022, as we've talked about parables of the kingdom of God, uh, because I strongly believe that um, among the many things that this story is, I think one of the things that this story is, is that it is absolutely a parable about the kingdom of God. And so we're going to look at it from those uh, lenses. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how sometimes parables are stories that Jesus made up to try to illustrate something. But also, um, we talked about Hosea and Gomer a couple of weeks ago. We, we talked about how sometimes parables are real life events that have the ability to point to something bigger than themselves or point to something wider than themselves. And I think that's absolutely true about this story because uh, it is both a story that happened and at the same time a parable for us about how to live out the kingdom of God. And so um, one more thing, at the very beginning of the series, uh, I talked about how so often the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, you can use either term for this. Uh, a lot of times when we, it gets talked about, it, it's talked about as if it's just something that happens when you die. But most often when Jesus was talking about it, he talked about it a lot less about how you die and a lot more about how to really live now. That's what Jesus was talking about. When he talks about the kingdom of God and he talks about the kingdom of heaven, it is how to live now, how to fill the earth with more of heaven now, today. And, and, and it, 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 some terminology for that is a kingdom journey. A kingdom journey uh, is what Jesus is inviting all of us on uh, to wake us up more to what he's doing in and around us now, today, in our actual lives. And so, uh, again, I just feel like Jesus has something to say today about three things through this story um, about our own kingdom journey. So if you're a note taker, here's the outline. I think uh, we have a word on silence. I think we have a word on the other or racial harmony and a word about great faith. So... Um, before I really jump in, though, I just, I want to pray, because my voice is getting a little excited, shaky. Um, uh, and, and I think um, there are things that we're going to talk about today that I heard Matt Chandler one time call these things sacred to the enemy. We don't, I don't talk about the devil a whole lot. Uh, but I think that there are things that the devil doesn't want us to talk about, and I think we've got some of those today. So um, I'm not trying to like, scare you, but, you know, the room, the air changes. So I just want to invite the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. So 
So Jesus, we thank you for this room. And we invite your spirit here. We believe that your spirit is here. Um, I just pray that you would wake us up to that idea. Would you wake us up to the fact that you are here and you are with us? I pray in our next few moments that you um, would allow us, as we pray all the time in here, would you give us the courage to look inside of ourselves to what you might want to say in us, to what you might want to excavate in us or expose in us. Sometimes um, you have words for us that are inconvenient or they kind of feel like sandpaper, and some of this today feels that way for me. And so I just pray for the courage to allow the sandpaper to do its work to smooth out the edges. I think that uh, you have so much for us in the story today. And so we come, we be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so piece number one. I said we're going to do three pieces. Piece number one we'll call the silence. Uh, so uh, we said at the beginning, the story begins with Jesus and his disciples, and they're finding their way outside of their usual stomping grounds to a region of, uh, called Tyre. It's like in the north of where they normally uh, hung out. Mark, when he tells his version of the story, he says that they went somewhere that, on purpose that they wouldn't be found. Um, I can relate to that. When I write sermons, I go to a coffee shop in Knoxville uh, because I don't want to be found. Um, because if I go to a coffee shop in Maryville to write sermons, I will see you. I will see people. And I will talk to you. And I will love it. But what I will not do is write a sermon. So, um, so sometimes you have to go away to not be found, to rest, to do what you do. This is what they're doing. Um, and so uh, it, Tyre was the perfect place for them uh, because they weren't going to run into their usual crowd. Because Jesus and his friends, their usual crowd were Jewish people, and Tyre was a Gentile land, an unclean land, so it's not like prime vacation spot for a first century Jew. This is where you go when you really don't want to uh, see anybody, and, and so a woman comes to Jesus in this, this region, and she asks for mercy and for deliverance for her daughter, and she's a Gentile woman. Matthew tells us she's a Canaanite. Uh, Mark, in his story, gets a little more ethnically specific, and he calls her a Syrophoenician woman. And what we're supposed to know from this, if we were first century Jews, is that um, they're uh, describing her is to imply a very strong racial tension between Jesus and this woman. What Matthew and Mark are both trying to say is that she is essentially the ethnic enemy of Jesus. And so the way she addresses him with all that in mind is so fascinating to me because she calls him Lord and she calls him the son of David. She not only acknowledges his Jewishness, but also his messianic identity. She acknowledges both their ethnic differences and a belief that she has in some kind of power that he might have. Lord, son of David, have mercy and deliver my daughter. And then Matthew tells us, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. And that's the point I find myself in the story. Anyone else? Have you ever been in a place like this where you're going to Jesus and you are asking for mercy or for healing or for something that you're longing for? And maybe you're even doing it with like a lot of respect or belief or faith in his power. And I wonder if he's ever answered you similarly to how he answered this woman. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. No word. Just silence. Years ago, uh, Pope Benedict said, All believers in Jesus know about the silence of God. Uh, Mother Teresa, she wrote about silence. She said she experienced a silence so empty that she felt like nothing could even touch her soul. 
Uh, Sarah Stokes last week talked so bravely about crying out to God and hearing nothing in reply, begging him for healing and hearing nothing from him. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. There is part of a kingdom journey with Jesus that feels like this, that feels like no reply, not even a word. And people don't talk about it a lot, uh, which means when it happens to us, we think we're the only ones. In my experience, few things propagate loneliness more than silence propagates loneliness, especially the silence of God. And so it makes us feel lonely and it makes us feel like we're the only ones. But I think it's incredibly important that we talk about this part of the journey. If we're going to talk about what it looks like to live in this world as a kingdom person on a kingdom journey, there are walls and there are pits and there are silences that are deafening and scary. But pretty much every story that Jesus tells that begins with the kingdom of God is like, he does that a lot. He'll tell stories the kingdom of God is like. They all have moments of quiet or hidden, almost every single one of them. He says, the kingdom of God is like a seed buried into the soil. It's like a net tossed into the sea. It's like a man who's about to go on a journey. The kingdom of God is like 10 virgins who wait in the dark. It's like throwing a party where no one comes. There are these moments before the moments where there is silence and there is darkness and there is waiting for the thing to come. Part of the journey of the kingdom of God feels like silence, like not a word. But as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, in these moments, just because we don't see anything and just because we don't feel like we can hear anything does not mean that God isn't saying something and it does not mean that God is not doing something. How many of you know that when a seed goes into the dark, it does a whole lot of work before you see it come out of the grass or out of the dirt, right? Uh, When you throw a net into the water, it's doing a whole lot of work underneath that you can't even see. You see what I'm saying? If this is where you are today, um, you're not alone and you're not nuts. If it feels like you aren't getting a reply, not even a word, there's a part of the kingdom journey that includes silence and includes hidden. And I think this woman has something to teach us about it. What does she do? What does the woman do with the silence? Anyone remember? She keeps asking. She keeps on asking. You know what the silence is broken by? Not Jesus. It's broken by her continuing to ask. In fact, she asks so much that the disciples ask Jesus to send her away because she's killing their vacation vibe. She keeps asking, and then Jesus, he finally speaks. And honestly, it's not that great. (laughs) Normally when Jesus speaks in the story, it's like the best part of the story, and this one's like, want to skip it? (laughs) When he finally speaks, it's not pretty. It's honestly kind of confusing. He says this, isn't it? It isn't right to take the food from the children and to throw it to the dogs. Which leads us to the next piece of this story, the next step on our journey uh, called piece number two, the other or racial harmony. Honestly, I want to call this, oh no, is Jesus kind of racist? Because that's what I think when I read this. It's a curious thing to say. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. That's a weird thing to say. I read and listened to everything I could get my hands on over the last couple of weeks um, about this sentence from Jesus. And what I found uh, as I studied is that it seems like almost all theologians agree, or all theologians worth their salt, uh, agree that Jesus is talking about the order of the kingdom of God here. 
Uh, not like a hierarchical order. He's not saying like uh, Jews are, uh, if Jews are the children and Gentiles are the dogs, he's not saying Jews are more important than dogs or than Gentiles. But what he's saying uh, is, is that it's a sentence laying out a timeline. Uh, uh, the order of a timeline that Jesus would take the good news to the Jews and then the Jews would take that good news to the Gentiles. And that seems to be what he's talking about here. Jesus' assignment in the present of this story was to remind uh, the promised people of God, Israel, of the promises of God that were being fulfilled in him. And then the future impact of that would be that the promised people of Israel would take these promises into the entire world. The now assignment is that the promised people of Israel would take these promises into the future, which would uh, go for out, throughout the entire world. That was the order. But moments like this happen in Jesus' ministry a number of times where that timeline of Jews first, then Gentiles gets interrupted. And it's like something from the future breaks into or interrupts what Jesus is trying to do in the present. Uh, the way it works is that we have this Gentile woman, a non-Jewish woman, asking Jesus for mercy for her daughter. She's asking Jesus uh, to have mercy on her now, to bring mercy now in the present. She's saying, what's coming to my people in the future, will you bring it now? Will you bring it now into this present moment? It is a very big ask. She's saying, Jesus, have mercy on us and bring the future into the present for the sake of my daughter. And in this context, uh, I think that's how we frame the conversation around children and dogs. The best way I know to say it is that Jesus, in a very crass way, uh, says, "Why are, or woman, what you're asking me to do is bring the future into the present. That's what he's doing. I absolutely think that's what's happening here. But before we move on to apply how that uh, applies to us in a kingdom journey, I think we have to do something about the word dog, don't we? Because every time I read it, he keeps saying it. It's still there. And I got so frustrated as I was researching for today because so much of the research around this just kind of ends what, with what I just talked about. And it doesn't even get to the word dog. And if I'm honest, I can totally understand uh, wanting to avoid the offensive thing. I just can't honestly stand in front of you and avoid the offensive thing. Two reasons for that. One, because I think the offensive thing has something to teach us. And two, because I believe so much in the power of curiosity and offense. I believe so much in the power of curiosity and offense. Here's what happens to me. When I get offended, when I read something offensive, when something offensive happens to me, my first instinct is to push it away. Anyone else? Like, get away. In whatever way. I want to sweep it under the rug. I want to minimize it. I want to, like, push it away, like aggressively, like get away from me. Um, when, there's, there's so much in, in my first instinct to push away or avoid or reframe or cancel the offense or cancel the person doing the offense. But I think a far healthier way to handle our offense is to get curious about it. Not to brush it off or not to puff up to it, but to note it, to follow it, and to get curious about what it might have to teach us. So with that in mind, let's get curious. Because Jesus definitely says dog. And we got to do something about it. So there are a number of approaches that people take to the idea um, of what happens in this exchange. Some scholars argue that a better way to translate the word dog here is to translate it as puppy or little dog. Like that Jesus isn't saying like, uh, you big nasty dog. He's saying like, you cute little puppy. I legitimately, legitimately heard someone in a sermon this week say it would be better translated cute labradoodle. 
And the argument for this is to say that Jesus was being like jokey with this woman or playful with this woman. That it isn't racial, it's playful. But that doesn't super work for me. Uh, Because while there are plenty of people who have taken the Jesus is joking approach to this, no matter how cute the dog is or how cute the word got lost in translation into English, I would argue that even the cutest dog is still a dog and not a person. No offense to you dog lovers. And so it doesn't settle what rises up in me when I read this because it doesn't feel cute and it doesn't feel joking. And I love cute jokes. This is not one. This feels tense. It feels so tense. Another way that theologians try to interpret it or explain it is they say, actually, Jesus was using a racial slur. uh, But when the woman comes to him, he changes his mind because she challenges him on it. And he changes his mind. Essentially, what they say is that Jesus is human and he's merely operating out of his human context as a typical Jewish man. And this is what a typical Jewish man, how he would have addressed a typical Gentile uh, woman. Um, they, they were saying that essentially Jesus was practicing and saying just what he knew, that he didn't know. But it's sort of the argument of like, oh, my grandfather uses that word. Fill in the blank for your word. My grandfather uses that word, but he, he's from another time, and he doesn't know what he's saying. That's essentially uh, what theologians say is happening here. Uh, it's, it's Jesus calls her a dog because that's what he'd heard all of his life and he doesn't know any better. But through this woman, he sees the error of his humanity and he changes his view and he heals her daughter. But that one doesn't work for me very well either because I don't think it holds up to any other story about Jesus because Jesus wasn't a typical Jewish man ever. For one, no typical Jewish man would have chosen to vacation in Tyre. He like wouldn't be there. Jesus isn't a typical Jewish man. In fact, we spend our entire faith arguing that he's anything but typical. So to apply typical to this doesn't, it's bananas to me. Jesus, he's intentional and he's curiously aware when no one else in any other story seems to be. And so I just don't think Jesus was joking and I don't think he accidentally used the wrong word. I think there's something more going on here. I said at the very beginning, this story, this moment, it is so distinct. It is different from all other interactions with Jesus and anyone, a man, a woman, a Jew, or Gentile. It is so distinct. Jesus, never before this moment and never again after this moment, speaks with any sort of racial prejudice. He does the exact opposite. And it it, it never happens again. This is a distinct story. This is a distinct moment. I think this distinction is so strong because I believe that Jesus was doing something very, very, very intentional. I heard one thinker call it instructive prophetic theater. Maybe a better word to say would be to call it a live action parable. Uh, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Hosea and Zomer, I think Hosea and Gomer, I think Jesus is living out a parable, living out a story to point to something bigger and wider than itself. I think in this moment, in this story, Jesus is playing the people of Israel. He's playing a role. He's playing uh, the people of Israel. His disciples, they're with him. They are all Jewish men with deeply held Jewish thought and principle and practice and prejudice. And I don't think that this story is about Jesus changing his mind on how he viewed this woman. I think this story is about Jesus' willingness to walk in the shoes of his disciples in order to change their minds. That's the mind he's changing here. Not his, not hers theirs. And so in this story, he plays them. He speaks like them. And while this story is at its most dynamic level about the healing and deliverance of a little girl, it is also a parable about the deeply held prejudice within the people of God. 
and about how mercy and kingdom and justice will be for everyone everywhere. I don't even think a little bit that Jesus uh, speaks to this woman through a belief that he holds about her as less than human. There's no other uh, evidence of that anywhere. And and one of the reasons I think that, I, I think that Jesus is doing this like a mirror reflecting back to his disciples a long and strongly held belief within them. I think this is an intentional critique on racial disunity that had been propagated by his people for years and years and years and years and years. I don't think Jesus is being racist here because what he does is he doesn't strip this woman of power. That is what racism does. It strips of power. He doesn't strip her of her power. I think Jesus empowers her in an unbelievable way. He does the exact opposite. Jesus, he sets this woman up to be the jewel of the story. He sets her up to negotiate with faith. He essentially hands her the mic and is like, tell him the good news. And she says, her quote is, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. She has a robust refusal to this status quo. Martin Luther calls it a trap of Christ's own words. She uses what has been used against her to tell the story of the plenty of the kingdom of God. I don't think it's unrealistic to say that Jesus allows this woman to preach to his disciples the message of the kingdom. That there is plenty for anyone who wants access to it. Jesus, uh, he voices the prejudice in order to expose what had been simmering beneath the surface of his disciples. And he exposes it not to soften the word, but to challenge it and to ultimately change it. So while this story is about deliverance for a little girl, it is also a story about deliverance for disciples. Jesus was preparing his disciples for a kingdom journey uh, toward a church that would one day include every nation uh, and every ethnic and cultural uh, expression all over the world that would exist in one cultural ethnic harmony. He was allowing them to see the future in the present where God would no longer be silent to the other where racial disunity would not be the way anymore, but healing and restoration and harmony would forever lead the way. Here's the thing about a kingdom journey. A kingdom journey will over and over and over again ask us to look inside ourselves at what might be lying below the surface. It will ask us to look at our views of other. It will ask us to look at what views, what prejudices, what stories we are believing that are keeping us from opening our arms to a full expression of the harmony of God's kingdom. This happened to me recently. I wasn't going to share the story. It's very vulnerable, and it's going to be super vague to kind of, it's not totally my story to tell. But essentially, a while ago, I got a Facebook message from a woman I didn't know uh, who had observed a moment with someone I love that to her felt racially insensitive. And I'm reading the story, and and my first reaction was what I said. It was to puff up and be like, you didn't understand that. You didn't understand what that person said, and they didn't mean it that way. And I wanted to defend myself, and I wanted to defend the person that she was writing uh, me about. I just thought she misunderstood. But Jesus, in his mercy, pushed me to curiosity. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, why don't you try to figure out how maybe you misunderstood? Check out what's lying beneath the surface of you that needs to be dealt with. 
A kingdom journey it will always be inviting us into curiosity about other, but also about ourselves, about our own bias, our own lenses, our own long and strongly held beliefs. In a kingdom journey, Jesus invites us over and over and over again to participate in a vision for multi-ethnic harmony. It's what he's always doing. He's inviting us in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, all over the world. Jesus is daring people to look inside themselves for ways that they are bound to uh, cultural or political or sociological norms and prejudices, uh, to systems of thought that do not have a place in the kingdom of God, and we all have them. I love you. Welcome to church. You have them, and I have them, and they have to be looked at. They have to be looked at. A kingdom journey will always dare us to look at ourselves and what might need to be exposed in us to open our eyes to harmony in a new way, to flourishing in a new way, to reconciliation in a new way. It is something to check in on again and again and again and again, right? Finally, part three. I think that this story wants to teach us that a kingdom uh, journey includes what Jesus calls great faith. Uh, I never imagined I would want to love the story I told you at the beginning. I've wanted to avoid it since the first time I read it. Um, but I love this story, and this part is why. Uh, not only does Jesus heal this woman's daughter, he also celebrates and marvels at her faith. He gives this woman, Jesus, gives this woman, I told you he empowered her. He gives her one of the highest praises that he offers in the entire book of Matthew. He says, dear woman, your faith is great. Your faith is great. Her faith is on display for the entire story. Her faith was her negotiation tactic with Jesus. And when it comes to Jesus, faith sim seems to be his favorite negotiation tactic. In fact, from the best I can tell, this is the only time that we see Jesus in all of the Gospels conceding a negotiation in the Scriptures. The only time this woman, she negotiates out of faith, not out of desperation, and Jesus heals her daughter. It isn't that Jesus won't do the miracle if her faith is lacking. Um, a few chapters before this, when the disciples are on the boat and the storm comes and they freak out and they, they go to Jesus uh, uh, because they think that they're going to die, Jesus still calms the wind and the waves even though they don't have faith that he will do it. But he, he calms the storm and then he invites the disciples into something deeper. Jesus is always, always in the business of calling people to a deeper place in their faith for greater vision, greater hope, greater faith for the work of his kingdom. Uh, the design of the kingdom of God is that the entire world would have faith. And this is what Jesus is doing in his ministry, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But this woman's faith, it broke through the waiting period between the two. Her faith broke through the veil of time and pulled the future of what was coming for her. It pulled the future into the present for her daughter, and a kingdom journey will always dare us to do this. It will always require faith, more and more faith, to pull what is possible in the future into the present. Faith believes in the possibility of the future breaking into the now. The future when God renews all things, restores all things, makes the sad become untrue. A part of the kingdom journey will dare us uh, to believe that those future things can happen here and now, at any time, and in any moment, that heaven can break into the earth at any moment and heal and reconcile and bring harmony and peace where there is war and strife. 
Faith that doesn't just long for and hope for those things. Faith dares to ask for them now. Over and over and over again. Ask for them now and practice them now and walk in them now. Chad talked about it a couple of weeks ago. That faith in the kingdom of God and the kingdom journey dares to try. It dares to try to bring what is possible in the future into now. To fill the earth with more of heaven. I'm going to stop here, and we're going to take a break, a, a breath. It is a break, too, but a breath. Uh, we call it Selah. We do this every week at, at, at our church, and it's essentially just like a, a moment of not moving on too quickly from the moment that we're in. Um, there will be some verses on the screen, and we're just going to sit quiet uh, for a little while. But I have some questions for you. I, I um, wonder if you would dare to consider. Uh, the first one is... Um, are you in a period of quiet? Are you in a period in your life where God's voice feels hidden or buried? Where you might need to be reminded that just because you can't hear anything or see anything doesn't mean God isn't saying anything or doing anything. And so I just, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to talk to that today. So let's just, if that's you, just sit there. Um, second thing, um, uh, is, where is Jesus asking you to reevaluate re your relationships with anyone, quote unquote, other? Where is he daring you to look inside your own thoughts, beliefs, practices, terminologies, prejudices? Where is he asking you not uh, just to think that harmony is a good idea, but where is he asking, asking you to actually practice it? Faith always moves to ministry. That's how it works. Where is God asking you not just to believe that reconciliation, ethnic harmony is a great idea, but where is he asking you to actually practice it in your everyday life? And then the third one is where might the spirit be daring you to grow in faith? Where might God be asking you to ask him for something big and something wild? Where is God giving you an imagination for how the future might break into your present right here? That's a lot of questions. Maybe one stuck with you. If not, quiet's wonderful and you're welcome. So let's pray. So Father, we ask for courage again. I pray for those of us in this room who are experiencing you as silent in this moment. I pray that you would put in them a determination to continue to ask. I pray that you would remind them, remind us that just because we can't see or hear does not mean you do not speak and you do not move. Will you allow us the privilege of a couple of steps back to see that your work in our lives and your work in this world is big and it is wide and it is sometimes beyond what we're able to see right up close. And I pray for peace in the lonely of longing, of asking over and over and over again for healing and over and over and over again, waking up with the same thing. I ask that you would fill those of us in that spot with peace. God, I pray that you would do a, like a brave and cleansing work in us uh, to give us the courage to look at where we have biases and prejudices and thoughts and systems of thought that we are applying to the world that are dangerous and hurtful and not part of your kingdom. 
We know that we all have them. And will you in your mercy expose them in us and will you give us the courage to do something about them? Will you give us the courage to get curious about offense? Will you give us the courage to get curious about uh, ways that we might be bringing destruction instead of hope? We thank you for the people in this room that teach us how to walk this out and how to fight this in our own lives. And then Father, I pray that over all of this, you would fill us with more faith, more and more and more and more faith, that we might be a church and we might be a people that believe that the future is possible now and that we have a job in it and that we have a role in it and that out of your great delight in us and your great delight in this world, you have invited us to fill it with more of heaven, with more order and more hope and more healing and more wonder. In your name we pray, amen.